Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to another episode of Women on Fire. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jamie and I am excited to be here today with my co-host, Miss yeah. Daniela Martinez. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Afternoon and good night, wherever you are. <laughs> yes, whatever part of the day you're in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a special guest again with us today. We are so honored to welcome Alex Kisitu. And I'd love to have her introduce herself. And um, yeah, and we'll dive right into all the goodness that we have to offer today. Thank you, everyone, Jamie, for having me. I'm Alex. Uh, I'm uh, a mommy. I have two little ones. Jamie helped one of those ones out. (laughs) So I uh, had both of my children outside the hospital. And uh, right now I'm working on writing my dissertation at the University of Hawaii at Manoa in the sociology department. And my topic is on home birth moms in Hawaii. That's so great, but you don't currently reside in Hawaii, correct? No, no, I used to, and I want to again, Um, but right now I'm on the mainland in St. Paul, Minnesota, so far north, and the snow is melting, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful, wonderful, and yeah, so today we thought we would kind of dive into what your dissertation is and maybe even like what brought you there to like feel like this was something that was important to um, kind of dissect and look at and um, and yeah, and your findings because you're sort of in the final pieces. Yeah, you're starting to really write it all up. And so, yeah, so kind of let us know, how did you come to the idea to um, study this? And then what sort of were your methodologies and what did you discover? Well, these are all really big questions, so thank you for asking. (laughs) In true Hawaiian cultural fashion, I guess I would go back (laughs) genealogically, um, you know, to to the past. So um, the dissertation didn't necessarily, or the dissertation idea didn't necessarily start when I was at the university. It started... Um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, Bella, and I was seeing hospital midwives through a clinic here in St. Paul. Um, and I was starting to do more research about home birth, um, and starting to do more research just about birth choices in general. And I think that pregnancy with Bella offered a chance for me to really trust myself more and to think about things a little differently. Like, why wasn't I taught all these things about pregnancy and birth? And I started to question all these things. And um, I think it was at, at the point at which I started to ask questions about different tests and kind of push back on things that weren't so evidence-based that they were trying to push on me. <laughs> if at all, I'm going to go birth her in a different place. So I chose a, um, a birthing center in St. Paul. Uh, started questioning um, some of the tests that were being pushed on me and really looking at the evidence of whether I needed these tests and looking at the evidence of uh, how wonderful it is for baby and mommy to have natural birth um, as long as things were going okay. And so 
I had a birth, I had a successful uh, birth center birth with her in the birth center here in St. Paul. And after that, I wrote up, she was about three days old. I wrote up her birth story and really realized at that point how sacred birth was and how I had to go through all of these layers in, in labor um, and that that would have been really disrupted had I chosen a more technocratic or medicalized form of birth. So after that, I was like <laughs> so much into birth and so much into like, why are things this way? Why are our women just taught to like lay back and get an epidural or an episiotomy? Like, why are we accepting of this and where does this come from and what is the alternative? So I decided to do a doula training um, and I trained with Kelly Martin. She's a doula and now a midwife here in Minnesota. She works in Southern Minnesota and she was more kind of into that natural realm of living and healthy lifestyle and, and just trusting birth. And then I was like, I have to do something about this. Like people need to know how magical birth can be um, and how empowering it can be. And so I applied to do a PhD program at the University of Hawaii and was accepted. And I knew from the get-go, like right from the jump that I was going to write about something to do with home birth. Um, and then as I kind of learned more about um, the history of midwifery and home birth, I was finding in the literature that like, despite what is studied, whether home birth is lower risk and healthier for low risk moms or kind of the issues with around midwifery regulations, et cetera, like all of that has been written about, but nobody actually like looks at the lifestyles or the worldviews of home birth moms. They just assume that they're a particular type of mom or a particular type of person with a kind of a renegade ideology or something, but it's actually really a lot more diverse than that. So I wanted to look at like, who are these home birth moms and why did they make the choice to home birth? So that brought me to my interview study. And that in a nutshell is kind of what I'm doing right now. That's so exciting. And it's, I think um, that a lot of women kind of come to this awakening of, uh, yeah, questioning the system when they really have to face it. And it's exciting, of course, that these little people trigger those thoughts, right? And um, yeah, I think it's pretty, pretty remarkable that um, there are all these layers and it is very, uh, there's, there is a lot of diversity within and it's true. There's, a, there's also a lot of stigma about who is choosing this or why they're choosing it. And as I'm sure, you know, many people listening to this hear those, oh, well, the mother's choosing an experience over the health and safety or welfare of herself and her baby and things like that. And not really recognizing that those things are actually very much intertwined. It's not a one over the other, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that a lot of people choose the experience because of safety or because it makes them feel like grounded or, or that they're respecting or honoring a, a deeper truth or wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you, you think about the diversity of moms who are choosing home birth and the variety of backgrounds, 
we're kind of all coming into it at a different angle. Like for some moms, it's the hospital is just by evidence alone is just a lot less safe. There's a lot of obstetric violence and abuse that happens for mom, particularly moms of color who go into the hospital setting. Um, you know, like they didn't even believe Serena Williams was having an embolism and she was like, hello people, <laughs> you know? So these things like really, really run deep. And, and I think that's part of the like tracing back um, the importance of tracing back, like where do these ideas come from and where does the stigmatization come from? And, and even this idea that a doctor has more authority over your body than yourself. And I think you can, you can pretty clearly tie that back to the start of medicine in the US and the campaign against midwives um, that happened in the early 1900s and even well before then, but really solidified itself in the early 1900s in the United States and all the money that was pumped into criminalizing alternative knowledges and alternative healing, uh, which included midwifery. And so to this day, those little remnants are, are sprinkled into the kind of social imaginary of what birth is or what risky birth is or where birth should occur. And that really, you can see a huge stigmatization of home birth moms because we've been so socialized into this idea that hospital is safest. And it's just not the truth, whether you want to back that up with evidence, if you believe in the scientific paradigm, there's plenty of evidence to support that. But also there's another reason too, like you're saying is sometimes it's the little ones that need to be born more safely in a safe space, or sometimes the mother needs to birth in a particular place. And this is what she's called to do. And I think we have to honor this, um, whether or not we believe it's right or not, we really have to honor other people's choices, what, what they're doing with their bodies. Right. It's not like a a left or a right issue. It's it, there's just so much in between that that pendulum and the way it swings. And some people are super to this way or that way, but there is just such a gradation in the middle. And it is important that we honor that and and also to to respect that other people do have the choice to do with what they want with their family, their body, in their own personal and private spaces. And it's not a dig against one way or another. It's just people living their truth. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Like a lot of moms are, would never consider a home birth and they would feel terrified to do it. And in that case, they should absolutely go where they're, where they're feeling safe and comfortable. If that means a hospital or a birth center. Um, it's not about like political ideology, like you're saying, and it's not even like about, um, this place is better than that place, but it, it really has to do with where the mother's at and on a spiritual level, how the baby's going to present itself in this world too. Um, and sometimes our pregnancies are, are controlled by our babies and our births are controlled by our babies. It's, it's a very interesting kind of space that has yet to be measured by science and probably the scientific method can't really measure these things. It's just too limit, limited when it comes to birth. Right, right. And I think too, when the, the, the mass majority of people choosing 
hospital births, even though statistically we know that that's not necessarily the safest place. We have all of this scientific evidence now, or like, you know, the, these ways of looking at it, but it's been so indoctrined in because there is a large, you know, there's a large funneling of, of funding into this system that will continue to keep the fear around it because they can profit off of that which is sad to say, but it is, um, it's not untrue. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing it back to also taking into consideration the baby's perspective, which often gets left out as, you know, oh, well, they're little, they're not going to remember, like, they're going to have no idea, like, it doesn't matter, like, they're not going to remember. That's pretty much what everyone's told. And that was a pivotal point in my life of realizing like that's just so not true you might not remember in a very cognitive way to be able to say yeah this is what happened when I was born but you can certainly where we have like memories in our cells imprinted within our our being and our nervous systems right so it absolutely matters how a baby is welcomed into the world and in a world where often the technology takes center stage and sometimes there's not much room allowed for the tender humanity to come through. Um, yeah, it, it can certainly get tricky. Um, and, and yeah, and midwifery, what, thank you for bringing, you know, highlighting the history there of the midwives and how that's really still going on. You know, what they said then is pretty much still true. It's like, oh no, midwives are dirty and they're, I mean, they, they said some terrible things back then. Um, Uneducated. Yeah. Yeah. But then the medical paradigm realized that they could profit off of this term, this, this um, model of care that people actually were seeking that out. And so it has kind of been re re commandeered by that um, medical paradigm that, oh, actually people are still seeking it out. It's gone underground. So maybe if we legitimize it, then we can own it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I think, I think in the like mainstream society, the idea of a home birth mom, because of all of these like campaigns against home birth and midwifery, the idea of who a home birth mom is is very foreign to a huge population of people. They don't have that personal connection with a home birth mom or somebody who has made that decision or somebody who has a baby who has made that decision to birth at home. But I think when we start to learn more and hopefully my research will help with this and fill in this gap, but like when we start to learn more about who these women are, are actually, that they're not dirty or they're not crazy or they're not super duper risk takers, but they're actually really, really well-informed, really well-researched women who are choosing what's most healthy despite uh, the rhetoric, despite the negative rhetoric, they've decided for some reason to really seek out evidence-based practices that work. And in the, in these situations, like there is so much evidence supporting the, the health of home birth and why these things are healthy on not just like physical level, but for mental health and spiritual health and emotional health for moms and babies. So when you compile this huge mounting, um, 
uh, like plethora of data saying that home birth mom for low risk moms or, or home births for low risk moms are actually it's okay. And then you meet a home birth mom, you're like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> Whatever I was told from the mainstream dominant idea about birth is completely flipped upside down. And you're like, oh, well, you're not a crazy hippie who lives like on a commune and fights the system every day. And, and if you are, that's totally okay. Cause I love those kind of people too. But um, you're, you could be a professional. You could be a nurse. Uh, you could be somebody who's working on a PhD. You could be a midwife. There's such a diversity of home birth moms. And these women are highly intelligent and they're making really great choices for the health of themselves and their families. And so I think once we get that more into the mainstream, it's like, oh, well, duh, this is actually a good health choice. Yeah, there's this documentary called Why Not Home? And it's like, there's an OB, I think there's also a nurse and it follows their journey of choosing to not birth at the very hospitals that they work at and <laughs> they're birthing at home. Um, so, so yeah, it, it all definitely begs a lot of questioning along the way. And, and thank you for your, your work into this to try to bring more understanding to it for the people that are kind of scared of like, what, why would anyone choose differently you know so so yeah how has that journey been what has come to light uh with your interviews because I know that's an important piece of this dissertation is just talking to the moms right they're the ones that got the insights <laughs> yeah it's been really fun um I'm I've been done with interviews for a while now but I'm still going through all the data and still analyzing and writing and so I get to revisit these a lot more than the moms who interviewed me one time it's like I'm interviewing over and over and over again as I reviewed the data but um what I'm finding is is that it's not necessarily like oh I hate the medical field I don't trust doctors it's not that necessarily what I'm hearing more from the moms is that they researched So in addition to the moms like being very well researched and making this choice of, of having home birth based off of evidence and uh, safety, the other part of it what is really comes down to being able to have authority over your own body and to be able to move not just physically but you know, emotionally and spiritually in a place that feels safe um, and in a place that feels a little more free. So if you are listening to this and you haven't experienced birth or know kind of what goes on in the hospital, oftentimes you don't have the choice to be in any sort of pushing position or labor position. This is not true for every place um, in the hospital, but but often it's kind of the standard of like you you lay down to push or um, you know if you're hooked up to an IV you have to be limited to your IV so you can't be walking around everywhere 
Um, what and- I've noticed as a doula even is that, you know, even if you don't want to um, be on the bed, say you start spontaneously pushing somewhere else in the shower or on the toilet or whatever, they always end up getting you on your back to check and make sure you're 10 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Sorry, just a little thing that so people think they don't want to do that. And then they end up kind of getting trapped in that position anyway. (laughs) Well, you know, these people are very good at following their checklists and checking off, you know, they might have like a standard list. This is what a healthy birth looks like. This is when intervention needs to happen. And if you're not checking off any of those lists, if you if your nurse isn't checking your cervix, knowing that like, oh, now you get to push because you're 10 centimeters rather than the mom saying, hey, I have to push. I feel like I'm very open. Um, you're not going to get the same kind of cho- that choice and that experience is like you're saying, Jamie, a bit interrupted. And when a woman is in that kind of later stage of labor, they are so open, not just physically, but they're so open even to suggestion um, because there's a little bit of a desperation that comes at the end. Cause you're like, I just want this baby out. I'll do anything, you know? And, and I think that the medical paradigm with their checklists, maybe they're not trying to take advantage of that space, but what happens is that space gets taken from the mom. And, and oftentimes it does. Not every time, but oftentimes it does. And I think the women who are choosing home birth are recognizing that these places that we go to in labor have to be protected. Um, And not just like going to like going to the bed and laying down or going to the toilet and squatting. It's, It's that place where you're like open spiritually and you're going to get your baby. And that's a journey that has to be protected spiritually and physically and emotionally. And that's not always the case in the hospital because the hospital really focuses on positive physical outcomes, um, which don't equate always to positive physical outcomes or emotional or spiritual outcomes for the mom. So a lot of moms are choosing this path instead to say, you know what? I feel like I trust my body. I know my body. They typically have some sort of you know, intuitive mind body connection already in their life where they're really checking in on their bodies. They know what, what they're eating is making them feel good. They're what they're sleeping, how much they're sleeping. So they're, these are people that are really connected to their bodies too. They're saying, you know what, I think I can do this. I, I listen to my body enough to know if something's going to go wrong. Um, I, I know my body is physically capable of this. I know I'm mentally strong enough for this. So why not do this? Because this is the place that I feel more safe and secure and, um, and, and held too by their midwives, you know, the the importance of midwives in home birth can't be overstated enough because they provide that space to feel safe for a lot of women, um, unless they're going unassisted. Um, A lot of home birth moms love and crave that attention from their midwives and that love from them. And that's a huge piece that you don't get in the hospital either. It's not a relationship with your doctor. It's, it's a transaction, you know, but with your midwife, it's a lasting relationship that lasts forever. Yeah. It's that energetic exchange. And sometimes the best, the best tool a midwife has is, is actually not what's in her bag, but the, the energetic space that they can hold for 
that woman to unfold how she needs to, or for that baby to be born how they need to. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a midwife, as you were mentioning, you know, like unassisted births or some, you know, like having a sister or a friend or a partner who's just there, you know, really believing in in what we're capable of and how it can be this great spiritual alignment as well. And that that plays a role in safety. Yeah. Yes. And that's that, that's that combination of, of, you know, safe outcomes as well as that experience piece, right? Because how we experience being witnessed in our birth practices or, and, or how we experience um, how the baby experiences that, right? Like if the mother is very fearful and full of doubt, then that can play a role in, in that unfurling of that child and actually in how it relates to the the postpartum and um and all of that too and how they how they can um take charge or be fearful or self-doubting when that you know i i i have to push my baby's coming you know don't push don't push don't push (laughs) you know (laughs) sort of those little and it's not an i don't necessarily feel that it's intentional I feel that it is just how that's where we have gotten. And so having that um, awareness, then how can we really support women? You know, how can we have such great outcomes at home when we don't have all the, you know, specialized doctors and special resources and special, you know, things? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it really is about actually the experience as well. There's actually quite a bit of research out there backing this up that it's about the experience that really helps the well-being of the mother if she feels like she can trust her provider, like she's been heard and respected. That helps her like emotional resiliency in navigating you know, whichever way her birth needs to go, even if it is a, a, you know, unwanted C-section, but it was needed in the moment, like she can navigate that better if she feels like her team, you know, respects her (laughs) and she's not being bullied or manipulated or fear-mongered or or even harassed. And um, like the experience matters. It's not just this fluffy stuff of like, hey, be nice to people. Like, no, (laughs) there's evidence out there. And I remember you know, always pondering like, well, why do I want to be a midwife? Why do I think it matters for like some, for, you know, for me to be at a birth and support someone beyond just like, I don't want to be there just in case, right? That's the same reason people often go to the hospitals like, oh, well, just in case, Um, which is a fine reason if that's what you need. But I, I needed more than that. And in talking to a dear friend who's had quite a few home births, eventually she said she's like I just love calling in the midwife team so that they can just I just love being held by sisters you know and and she's like there with her husband being all loving and yummy and she's like and I just love that the midwives can just make space for me to just do that and know that my sisters are there for me you know just to witness me I was like ah beautiful right yeah just that feeling of being held by sisters or elders and other women 
you know, and and that it just says a lot of like, why are we not also getting this in our everyday lives um, as women? Where, why is this missing so much from society? And like, I, I'm like addicted to the midwifery experience because it is so loving and so, so magical in so many ways because, and so unfortunately so rare for women to experience this level of love and support um, and yumminess, like you're saying, Daniela, like, but why in society do we not have that more? How can we like almost mainstream that level of love and support for women? Because this, you know, as you know, this all ties back too to how we view women uh, or how we are taught to view women or interact with one another um, and ties back to kind of the, the medical field being very patriarchal, very hierarchical in design. Um, that it just is not providing what we need. And I would say the same for men too. Men deserve that yummy love too, and they crave it. And like, why are we not building that kind of love? Um, and I know your both of your work is really centered on creating that love and, and making space for that. And so, I mean, I just, um, just love midwives and, and you guys in particular for like dedicating your time and your energy towards that because it's so important. Yeah. So in your diving into the rabbit hole and talking to people and um, assessing it all, um, is there some things that popped out to you that perhaps you weren't expecting as much or that were a little bit of a surprise or just super interesting I mean it's all interesting but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but anything extra um I would say I wasn't entirely surprised by what came out I think had I not given birth to my children at home um I would have been surprised probably but because I had gone through this experience myself I felt like I could connect on so many levels with the moms. So that was so helpful in so many ways. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, I would say that the other thing that maybe wasn't necessarily surprising, um, because I had, you know, learned about the history of Hawaii as much as possible before, um, even like before my children were born, and when I was doing my master's program, but um, that a lot of the moms really see this particular way of birthing as a practice of sovereignty. Um, And I would say it was most of of the Hawaiian moms that I interviewed, but also other moms really viewed it as like a kind of an anti-colonial practice, almost like a reclamation of identity and a reclamation of even Ina, like birthing your babies on the land. And then also like providing that gift to future generations and providing that gift to your baby um, to have that kind of anti-colonial practice and say like, you know, of course we all need each other. Like (laughs) humans can't exist alone. Um, but, But kind of that message of like, I don't need this settler colonial a medical paradigm to tell me that I can't birth 
or to tell me that I'm less than or in need of their help. Um, and I think that was really fascinating to hear the stories of women kind of talking about it as an anti-colonial, like almost an anti-colonial practice, not that they went into birth, like <laughs> I'm fighting against colonialism. And so I'm gonna birth my baby this way, but more of like, this is what's in line with my cultural values, my spirituality and what's best for my baby. Um, and really coming from that place of love rather than like resistance to, but it also, you know, after the fact is like, wow, I did this and I, and I can find other ways to live that are not so under the authority of settler colonialism as well. So it was kind of almost an empowering practice as well as a, um, a reconnection to culture and Aina. Yeah, absolutely. It's this journey of just being your own authority. You're claiming your independence and, um, you've got the power over yourself. So it's not that you can't interface with different schools of thought and people and practitioners and even get their perspectives, but it's just not letting those other places and people have total authority over your life. Like they don't have the final say, you do. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I also think it's fascinating just knowing you personally that you're interviewing and in all of your um, like deep research, the, the personal to, person to person research was happening while there was, um, yeah, legislative efforts to, um, to rest not restrict, well restrict, <laughs> um, to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To organize midwives or legitimize midwives on a medical level or what's the word I'm looking for, ladies? What regulate. Regulate, thank hey. you. <laughs> we Did I really you. not to go there? <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. So do you think that that potentially even influenced some of that conversation or like how was that, I guess, in your discovery of knowing what your truth was and then exploring it and having even a different birth experience here than you had um, back in the continental US and what was, yeah, like did that, do you, what are your thoughts about that or like what do you, what did you find um, interesting about that or if you think it swayed some of the conversation or anything I mean I'm just curious about that from a more academic standpoint yeah I I would say a lot of women did bring that up in the interviews um and a lot of women showed a distaste and, <laughs> and kind of like a resistance to the midwifery bill so the midwifery bill you guys have talked about it a lot but essentially from my understanding is it's it's designed to almost outlaw cultural and lay midwives. And it really restricts birthing options for women and particularly like women who wanna choose somebody who is maybe not trained in the Western medical model, but is trained in like a Hawaiian model of care or another cultural model of care, um, or maybe like a spiritual model of care and that just goes back to that kind of campaign again from the the beginning of 
just saying like this way is legitimate over this way and we know now like evidence is coming out like maybe that's not so legitimate maybe medicine is just an institution with a lot of paperwork to legitimize it itself and give itself professional authority over this realm of life like and and part of that midwifery bill is saying like nope we're going to tell you whether or not you're a legitimate midwife or not um, and we're going to tell you from the perspective and the power of the state and the the settler colonial perspective or the Western biomedical model. Um, so, of course, you know, a lot of women who home birth are like, hell no, this is crazy. I, I'm doing this because it's my choice and I should choose which midwife um, makes me feel um, most connected to them and makes me feel safe. And we should have that freedom to choose who we want to be there in our birth and also the freedom to call them midwives like <laughs> part of this bill almost removes the ability to call somebody a midwife so that definitely came out in the interviews and then in my own personal experience i've shared this with with jamie but um my first birth with bella was in a birth center but it was really medicalized in a lot of ways and um the midwife who I had for a lot of the birth actually moved to the islands and was in support of midwifery bills. And she was from a MEEK accredited midwifery school. Um, so of course this benefit, this bill benefits her and her company. Um, and then I had Jamie and I chose Jamie because she's such a lovely person and um, gave me warm fuzzies inside. And I knew I would be safe with her because for me, if I feel safe and comfortable, I know that impacts my health directly and I know that impacts the birth directly. Um, and at the time, Jamie was practicing as like a lay midwife and um, this bill would have outlawed her. And it's just insane to me because I had such a better birth with you, Jamie, and such a more spiritual, well, I would say they were both very spiritual, but the, the safety felt a hundred times more in the birth that I had with you. Um, so it's just like this, again, this idea that like, if you're trained in a certain way, somehow that makes you better or somehow you can provide a, a safer birth versus being trained in another way. And it's just not the truth. Um, and I know you guys both train hard and you're so, you study hard and you learn hard and you practice hard in, in your field and in your craft. So that's not to say that people are just out here, like it's calling themselves midwives and they're not trained, but you allow for this space of spirit and of trust in birth rather than coming from like a, what could go wrong paradigm? And how do I fix this? How do I control this paradigm? And it's a lot less empowering to be a birthing mom with a midwife who's like, I wanna control you versus a midwife who's like, I love you and you can do this. Um, that really impacts, again, like the postpartum period, how we're bonding with our babies, how we feel about our bodies, and that continues throughout our life process. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would say about the midwifery bill is I wrote a chapter actually on obstetric violence for a book, um, and that'll be coming out. It's not my book, but it's just a chapter in the book. That'll be coming out sometime in 2022. But I looked at the public testimony available on the Hawaii State Legislature website of 
those who opposed the bill. So they were saying like, we wanna have freedom to choose our midwives and we wanna have freedom to practice. Um, so these were bill, these were public testimony. You can look them up on the website. So I did like a content analysis of all of these bills and I wrote up a chapter on like how, when you regulate midwifery and access to cultural practitioners and lay practitioners who are birth workers, um, you're actually increasing the chances of obstetric violence for women um, because you're limiting access to midwives. A lot more women are going to have to choose to birth in the hospital. And one out of three BIPOC women experience some form of obstetric mistreatment in the hospital. And one out of six women um, on the whole experience some sort of um, obstetric violence in the hospital. So if we don't have access to midwives, we are putting ourselves at risk in the hospital in, in many ways. So, and then again, that's not to say that every doctor is this way or that way. And that's not to say that home is the safest for every mom. And that's not to say that some midwives are just really shitty and they're, and they can abuse moms and make them feel really bad. Um, these things are all nuanced, but on the whole, the research shows like if you're going to regulate midwives and decrease the amount of access to midwives, you are thereby bringing more women into the hospital and putting them at more of a higher risk of obstetric violence. And in particular, this is a lot higher for Hawaiian women too. So it's, it's a big issue in Hawaii. Wow, that's super deep. <laughs> Sorry, that was like a lot. <laughs> no, it's so true. It's good though to know that again, like those things can be, it's not just someone's story, it's many stories, you know, it's it's the accumulative of and that this stuff is it, we're not just making it up. We just did a podcast about eating your placenta, and there's this one story of a baby getting really ill from the mother eating the placenta and how that has like, that's the deterrent for women to eat their placentas, one story, right? But this is an accumulative voice that people were very willingly, openly putting on a government website saying that, no, this is why I'm choosing an alternative because this was my experience. And it's not just one person. Yeah, I think states and medical authorities really like to, um, use outliers to justify why their way is the best way instead of looking at all of the data in a like a holistic way which is what you should be doing um and what they like to do when they present data <laughs> but when it's a, an alternative to their practices it's somehow the outlier becomes the norm and i mean i think that's what we're seeing too with some of the stuff around covid is the outliers have become the norms and, and the state is able to use that to their advantage to take more control. Um, and certainly medical authority then gets a huge boost because they're like, look at, <laughs> look at this, uh, like this baby who got group B strep. Um, and that means all moms have to have antibiotics or this mom uh, went into postpartum depression after she ate her placenta. Um, rather than looking at the whole spectrum of like, how many moms are actually eating their placentas and what are they saying about it? Let's do a study on it. Um, but unfortunately the, the NIH and, and all of the other health institutes and big funders of health don't really like those kinds of studies. 
Well, you can't make money off of people doing things on their own, right? I mean, you have to make money off the education and then you have to make money off the license and then you have to make money off of funneling people back into the system when they risk out according to the medical system's rules and as a, you know, the relative risk versus the actual risk of the person in front of you. And um, yeah, so you kind of unfortunately have to follow that trail and the trail is um, sadly, and that's that watching from the historical point of view, right? Of diminishing these people who were just doing their heart's work and then making all of that information um, almost like an elitist scenario that you can only know that if you attend our schools and you can only, you know, be a, <clears throat> be a herbalist if you have this certification and now that's a naturopathic doctor. But then even looking at what's happening with naturopathic doctors is that now they are also very much being trained as medical doctors and have to take courses in, um, vaccinations and all these different things. And again, it's not an opposition to any of this. And I think that that's one of those things is that uh, also is people say, oh, well, when you guys talk about the medical world, I mean, yeah, you don't have a lot of great things to say, but you're also not saying don't go there. And you get the opposite in the medical world where it's like, oh, well, don't trust that supplement or don't trust that person because they don't have this sort of elitist pay for um, seat of, of being able to tell you what to do because I have this piece of paper that proves that I know what I'm talking about. And yet you just don't know what you don't know. And you can have all the papers in the world and still be completely misunderstanding the whole like bottom line, which is that, you know, when you're birthing a baby, it sure it can be medical, but it is so much bigger than birthing a baby, like than just that medical piece that what happens with a woman and her body and her partnership with her, the folks that she is supported by and with who she, how she views herself as a person on this planet and as a mother and this baby and that trajectory. And that it's not just this one day that it's this that cellular thing that we were talking about and that we can carry that because we're in our mother's wombs when we're in their mother's wombs. So that, that lineage That's that so no funny. paper can prove <laughs> and really no scientific theory can, can prove as of yet. <laughs> you know, I think what you mentioned here is just a couple things like there's a serious problem with gatekeepers in our society. And in particular, having to do with the body and how the body works. And I mean, like we both, we all of us have been in our bodies our whole lives and we should be the experts on our bodies. Um, but we're told consistently that we're not because we don't have that piece of paper. And it's really kind of amusing to, when you pull the veil back on all of that to see like, you know, I'm just as um, qualified to know these things. Um, 
I, I can learn these things as well. You know, maybe not like brain surgery, <laughs> but like I, I can know things about my body just as much as somebody else. I can know uh, things about herbs just as much as somebody else. I can learn things about how to take blood pressure. <laughs> like, or feel my pulse. <laughs> these things are not rocket science. But the delivery of it requires a special kind of person. Um, and I think a lot of home birth moms are choosing to have somebody there that they are going to take their pulse with love and they're going to palpate their uterus with love and talk to their babies. You know, we don't get that in the medical realm. And it makes a huge difference to our health even. Well, and even teaching women how their babies are lying in their pelvis, right? Or asking them and then saying, oh, well, I'm feeling this here and this there. And so this is how my, I think my baby is. And then voila, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And that affirmation of us again, like knowing our bodies that yes, you're right. You don't need someone else to tell you, but it's nice to have a woman justify that sometimes too, right? And especially because we've been told to not trust it, right? So to have somebody actually verify that like, yep, you are right. It's the best feeling. I remember when I was in labor with Noah and I was like, I have to, for some reason, I have to like get in this position where the baby's like pressing on this side of my cervix. And then I remember I was like, can you check me, Jamie? And you checked me and you were like, oh, yep. You had a little cervical lip and now it's gone. And you were like, you were pushing, you were or not pushing, but you were putting yourself in the right position for labor. And just like hearing that validation from you was really important too, because I was like, oh, my body knows what to do like I had to move this way so Noah's head could press on my cervix a little bit more in this position so he would be ready to come out and I and I could feel it but then to have somebody say yes that's what you're feeling is exactly right um and oftentimes we're just heard that we just hear like no what you're feeling is crazy you're a crazy woman (laughs) and and so and and we can tell you that because we have a piece of paper that says we can say that Um, so once you pull the veil back on that and you really see like, I'm just as much of an expert on my body or I can trust my body, even if I don't know, uh, the medical terms for X, Y, and Z, but I know what's going on intuitively. I know my baby's patterns and how that trajects into parenting and watching them grow all of that. Right. So much. Yeah. Just like, even if you look at your baby, how your baby came out, like, Noah came out with a a fist pump up (laughs) and, um, and he still sleeps like that to this day. (laughs) So they know, and they are who they are. And a doctor cannot feel that if they're just checking off lists. Um, a, A good doctor can feel it if they look beyond the list. And I think that's why midwives are so important because they look beyond what could go wrong or have I checked their blood pressure in exactly 10 minutes every time during labor or every contraction, am I checking like the Doppler? Um, They can allow for things to feel and sense and feel what's going on on an intuitive level 
um, not all midwives, but a lot of the good ones can. And according to the, the Hawaii midwifery bill, this could be something that would be potentially criminalized or outlawed. And it's insane to me that people would ever do such a thing. <laughs> yep. Yep. You can't quite quantify or regulate intuition or the art of things, right? Because by definition, the art is just kind of a spontaneous in the moment, um, you know, kind of not to say we're just making it up along the way, but it's using like all these different formulas and different tools and then figuring out how they're best used in these unique circumstances. It's not a formula. Wouldn't it just be great if it was just that straightforward? We were just little machines and, <laughs> and that's all, but, but we're not. We're much more sophisticated than that. Uh, I think the, the medical, the biomedical view is that we can standardize bodies and we can treat with machines and we can mechanize bodies um, without seeing that we're more than our bodies. You know, there's so much more going on with us than our bodies and our babies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's so much more going on with our babies than just their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, and, and midwives are really good at tapping into that. And just because somebody is really good at tapping into that, like you're saying, it doesn't mean that they're not also great at monitoring when like an emergency comes up or monitoring um, things from a scientific viewpoint, but to be able to function and work on the spectrum of like, when do I need more of a science view of the body? And when do I need to really fill this out intuitively? Mm -hmm. um, to be able to have that skill is so important and so missing in the mainstream uh, paradigm on birth. So I think if we <laughs> can get to know home birth moms a little more um, and we can get to know midwives a little more and open our minds to this idea that like maybe life isn't just an exacting science. Maybe there's more to life than measurables that we can measure with a particular method in a particular dominant culture that <laughs> we can have really amazing lives that are fully like spiritual and physical and emotional and mental like we can have it all but we have to really get past this very limiting view on birth first mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think about um you know the buzzword about diversity and all these various things right we have all the, this buzzword diversity of a diversity and yet at the same time we have this like the walls closing in on so many things it's almost like hypocritical <laughs> it's like the diversity but only if it fits in this box you know but um otherwise that diversity is invalid because you know it it's only valued by a small um group of people or it's only and and part of that even rationale of it being valued by a small group of people is because that withholding of information or that misleading um, conversation, you know, that um, a lot of people do get from obstetrics that ACOG doesn't support home birth, even if you're an obstetrician birthing at home, birthing women, at, you know, helping women birth at home, they still, they just don't um, believe in it. And because that's the 
the major mainstream now, um, even women who think that they would want something like that get talked out of it quite easily because their mom thinks it's dangerous or their partner thinks it's this or that, you know, and, um, and it's no surprise why, but it's also not honoring that diversity, <laughs> this word that we just are hinging on right now so deeply as a culture, but it's only if it's, you know, there's only certain points of diversity, I suppose, that are um, allowable. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just men that carry out the patriarchy and it's not just Westerners that carry out the Western way of thinking at this point. Anyone can do those things and it, it gets messy sometimes. But I'm so excited to hear about you, Alex, and how you're diving into um, all these interviews. And I can't wait to be able to read about them um, and what you finalize with it. I'm just, it's exciting to me that someone has taken the time to pay attention to these, you know, the, the one to maybe 2% of people that are choosing to do things a little differently when it comes to welcoming in their, their babies. Um, yeah, right. The, the minorities, if you will, the outliers. So yeah. thank you for sharing about this amazing work that you're doing is there anything else that you wanted to share about it? Um, and also, if you want people to communicate with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, thank you both for having me today and um, giving me space to talk about birth and all these amazing ideas. And um, I just look up to both of you so much for all the work you do in the world, too. So thank you. Um, and I guess I, I don't have too much else to say, um, but I will let you all know when I'm done with my dissertation because I'll be back in Hawaii partying on the beach. <laughs> um, well, we'll be sure to have you back on the podcast as well. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, and also if you're allowed to share the title of the book of the chapter that you have written. So, you know, how to find you and, and if you're allowed to share that information or if you have to wait, that's fine. So the chapter on the book on obstetric violence, the book will just be called obstetric violence. Um, I'll ha I'll give Jamie and Daniela the information on it when it gets published. They're they're aiming for February 2022. I think things kind of got delayed with the printer, with um, COVID and everything. But you guys can find me on Instagram at my full name, which is Alexandra Kisitu K I S I T U, or if you are interested in talking more um you can always shoot me an email it's my last name k-i-s-i-t-u at hawaii.edu so exciting that you're um that yeah you're paving this way and and offering a, a place for people to share and exploring this topic who's choosing home birth and why i think it's so incredible and especially in um well, everywhere, but I think that the, um, the focus on the microcosm of Hawaii is um, really important. And so we're so grateful. And I'm so grateful for your son, Noah, for bringing us together <laughs> and your beautiful, amazing family. <laughs> Aww. 
see, this is why you all have to hang out with midwives. They just speak such kindness and heart centered words into you. <laughs> it's addictive, really. <laughs> and it's just because it's the truth. <laughs> see what I mean? <laughs> oh, well, I love you both. Thank you for the work that you do. No, likewise. I love you so much. And thank you for being here today. And I look forward to you being out here and we can celebrate your dissertation in person someday. Yay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Have a beautiful day. You All right. Aloha. Bye.